you have your fear, which might become reality. And you have Godzilla, which is reality. I'm sick of Godzilla. Listeners, Jakey here, and yes, I'm doing the intro, so you know that means one thing. The Tattoo Titan of Tokusatsu, Mr. Jacob Walsh, is off duty tonight. In fact, he's celebrating a birthday. I won't tell you which one, but he's celebrating a birthday, so we do wish the happiest of birthdays to Mr. Jacob Walsh. I hope he's out there getting some awesome kaiju toys, and hopefully we can talk about that on the next YHS on Monster Island, which, sneak peek, we will be talking about Godzilla versus Gigan, the 1972 classic, if you ask me, but it is the 50th anniversary of Gigan and that film. So we'll be talking about that. But you know what? There's no time for me to whine and moan and cry because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And I didn't want to go a week without covering some of this stuff. This will be a little bit all over the place. I have zero notes. So if you see me looking around, I'm not looking at any notes. I'm not looking at anything. I'm truly just, my eyes are wandering around. I don't know why. But you know, we, we got to talk about some stuff. I'm really excited. We can talk a little bit about last week and the Jeffries from YHS, which was great. But I want to talk, you know, hey, we'll do kind of a normal show. I'll talk about some stuff I've been watching, about some stuff that I've been buying, and then kind of a main topic. Maybe we don't have one of those, but I'm sure we'll get into some tangents and whatever. So hopefully you can enjoy the ride. It's a captainless ship. So you know, we'll see what I'll do. I, I might end up talking for seven hours or it might be seven minutes. I don't know, but we'll go with it. Like I said, no topic, nothing set in stone, but we'll have some fun. So first off, let's look back to last week. For those that have been watching us, at least over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the Jeffrey Awards uh, from YHS, specifically Toy Anxiety, hosted by Ryan Dole and Craig Goldberg and, and our very own Jacob Walsh and Abigail Gardner. And to me, the Jeffrey Awards, when they debuted last year, you know, I was just a fan, just watching it you know, at my, at my house, blew me away. Like the thought of a toy award show is great, and, but I thought we were just always going to be destined to have you know, some random dude on Twitter post what his favorite toys were. Um, and uh, we have a little bit of in the kaiju community, a little bit of like X plus figure of the year and stuff from a little bit larger fan bases. But like from this broad toy collecting as we know it, Nobody had really capitalized on that, at least to my knowledge, in a big way. And Toy Anxiety did. And the fact that they did it kind of this tongue-in-cheek awards show with a lot of funny bits and songs. I mean, it is one thing when you have you know Craig and Abby and Jake and Ryan, I guess to some degree, are all musically talented and they're funny and and do great, you know, impressions and personations. And so it does make it conducive to something like an award show. But last year, they knocked it out of the park and this year's was even better. I mean, it felt like a legitimate, like big time YouTuber production. And it was, I mean, I guess that's what it was. And it felt like it because it was, um, the opening number was hilarious. I mean, just kudos to that team. They put a lot of work into it. And what was neat about it was 
we actually got to participate as YHS on Monster Island. And we did our very own Kaiju Toy Line of the Year Award. It wasn't there last year, so this is the first one. I mean, YHS on Monster Island wasn't there last year. So that was really cool to be part of it and to be able to talk Kaiju toys for about five minutes in that um, in the award show without getting kicked off the stage or anything. And, uh, and it was super fun. And for those that didn't get a chance to see it, go see it. But if not, you know, I'm going to expose the winner right now. Our Kaiju toy line of the year was the Marasan 350 line. It beat out some pretty heavy hitters. You had Metacom Vinyl Wars was in there. You had both X Plus, Daikaiju, and X Plus. Defarel was in there. Uh, Bandai Movie Monster Lines, Mondo. So you had some really cool, um, some really cool kind of contenders. And I love the fact that Marasan won. Um, you know, a Sofa B specific line, you know, in a world that I think a lot of people, their entry into Godzilla has been more the realistic looking, um, whether higher price points like X plus or lower price points like Bandai. And the fact that, that a Sophie line one was cool. I think it says a lot for the people that voted on the, these awards, the people that had input, um, that something, you know, their, their signature, uh, their signature releases this year involved translucent vinyl and glitter. Uh, and this is going to win the award. I think that's so cool. I think, I probably had money on Metacom um, just because I think they're probably the sleeping Godzilla releases this year. You know, we've talked a lot about Nanraku and Saku. I think there, there was some, a chance that they could have won or maybe X plus uh, Daikaiju series, the Mothra we talked about a lot on the show and they did some stuff with legendary and even Mondo. Like I don't think Mondo deserved to win. There's too many, you know, things to iron out with those guys, but I mean, YHS, I think the YHS listeners and those that voted on these awards, they probably have a, you know, a familiarity with Mondo more so than just a normal Kaiju fan because of all the other collecting they, they, they do, whether it's um, the collectibles or, or the prints by the great Tom Whalen um, and all the other great stuff that Mondo releases. So um, it was cool to see Mars on one. Like I said, it would, uh, them and Metacom probably would have been my, one A and one B. Um, so very cool. Mars on three fifty is is great. Um, I mean, everybody knows I love the Bio Goji line. In fact, I have. Let's see. I just picked up my ninth. You know, what? I'll just go and show it right now. I picked up this guy this week. Uh, my ninth Mars on Bio Goji. This is the dark glitter. I mean, look at this bad boy. I love it. Same sculpt that I love so much. And you know, this is just the darker vinyl um, with the with the glitter in it. So very similar to the Disco Goji, as Ryan Wil Wilhelm would say. Um, but I absolutely love this guy. And so this is not, now I do have, <laughs> oh man, you know what? Maybe we do need to talk about just toy collecting uh, and Sophie collecting in general and kind of where my head's at. But so hopefully it'll add, you know, some of you guys that are struggling with it uh, and what to do this week and what's, you know, what shiny object we're chasing, what squirrel we're chasing. So I, like I said, I, I do mostly collect what I like and that's it. That's the only real parameter, you know, there's no reason to be a completist. Um, however, for some reason, I've gotten down to this little completist rabbit hole with Marasan Biogoji. But the point that's different between that and some of the other times I've gone down that rabbit hole outside of the world of Sovabi, I'm still enjoying it. Like I get excited when I see a new Marasan release, like the one they just had with the uh, the green glitter and the gold spikes. I think it's a Godzilla store exclusive. Like, I mean, the heart starts racing, and it's not like, oh my god, I got to get this, or I'm less of a human. It's that's so awesome. I have to have that on my shelf. It looks so beautiful. Um, so I think I'm okay. But if I start getting upset that Marasan is releasing all this stuff with this Biogoji sculpt, please somebody reach out to me and say, hey, Jay, stop it. You don't need to be 
a completist when it comes to anything Sofa B, even if it's something as specific as the Morris Online. But I say that, and I do have five more in route to me right now. Uh, so I'll be up to 14, and I think I still have like five more to go. So I, I'm getting the I'm getting one of the two blue marbles that they just released. The one that's mostly blue, not the one that has the the white head that's the glow in the dark. But I've one of those coming. I'm I found the blue sparkle just up for like peanuts. So like I had to get that. And I've sold that and talked about that. I love that one. Um, but I just don't have it. So I picked that one up. And then the three new kind of surprise glitters they dropped on everybody, the light blue, the purple, and the red, um, which are all awesome. Look. Like I say, the glitter is more like this as opposed to like the blue and the green ones. Um, it's it's more more like a a translucent vinyl, more of a translucent vinyl, I should say. Um, and so they look really cool. So I have all those coming. So um, Mars on three fifty. Uh, hey, I, I guess the long winded way of saying not only did they win twenty twenty one, but maybe they're on pace to win twenty twenty two as well because they are just going nuts and. That or somebody, maybe A.G. Kamenaga, the, the president over there, is just trolling me. It's like, how many will this idiot buy? And uh, the answer is a lot. Uh, so <laughs> that's where we're at. But uh, but yeah, but kudos to Mara Tom 350 I, I did see that Kamenaga actually liked our, our post when we promoted it. They won. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if the, the CEO of, of Hasbro and Mattel are doing that with a lot of these award shows. But that was very, 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 very cool. And uh, But the line wasn't just the Biogojis. They do... If so many of these the kaiju salon pop-ups and some of the other cool stuff that they do, they're 54 and they're 71. They released a lot of variations of that. They did some Mecha Godzillas and Heteras. And well, yeah, the Mecha Godzilla, the Black Hall Sparkle. Um, I absolutely adored that. And I show it off on the, the Jeffries. That could have been if we have, if we would have done a figure of the year, I think that had to be in there. In fact, actually. We were talking about this before the award show because we did Kaiju Toy Line of the Year. And, you know, maybe next year we do add in Toy of the Year, uh, Kaiju Toy of the Year, because I don't know if it would have been just one to one. Right. I don't think every Toy of the Year would have been represented in the Toy Lines of the Year. In fact, if you ask me right now on the spot. If I had to pick like my five toys of the year, I'm actually going with the Megalon X Plus, the Rick, um, the, so that's 30 centimeter line. Was it in Toy Line of the Year? I'm going with the Bullmark Aurora Mecha Godzilla. Once again, not in Toy Line of the Year. Uh, I probably am going with the um, with the Disco Goji, but maybe the Black Hall Sparkle. So regardless, Marasan 350 would be represented in there. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else. I mean, you know, Mondo the Umi variant I think would be in my personal one. I don't know if that would be the right choice for like the greater audience. Um, and then, you know, honestly, Super 7, the the Shogun reaction, the first one they released, that had a nice little buzz about it when they like, that was their initial release. And what a cool concept of taking the Shogun Warriors Godzilla and making him into this small reaction figure that had a 20 something dollar price point. Everybody could, could, uh, um, could grab one. Uh, very cool, and it was a really cool thing that Super 7 did to kind of start off this. We'll talk about Super 7 a lot on YHS on Monster Island about what they've done since then. And I know they're trying to make up some ground with some of the, the teases that they've done recently, but I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the figure of the year category, just like best picture in, in the awards, in the Academy Awards. It should be a hodgepodge to represent all the types of interests that are out there, and I don't think it should only be the five most expensive, most exclusive Sofa B items out there. I think it should be 
probably something like an X plus, like the Megalon, probably some Sofa B items, probably something that's accessible, whether that's something from Bandai Monster series, like the Godzilla the Ride figure, or something like the Shogun um, Super 7. I, I think that's a really cool one. Um, those would be at least in my short list. And I think that, I, honestly, the Megalon and the Bullmark Mecha Godzilla would actually be my top two. I think the Megalon is just a, an amazing sculpt and was it just wonderful X plus. Um, it generally, I think is one of my favorite X plus sculpts. Then um, in the Bullmark Aurora, I think if you ask somebody what is a great gateway sofa B item, that Bullmark Aurora, because there's no doubt it's Mechagodzilla. It's not goofy looking or anything like that, and it's it's a nice play on on an older sculpt, but it's this translucent with the you know some of the the colored inside of it and the translucent with how i mean you basically no depending on which way the light is what type of light we have it looks like a totally different figure i think it, it captures the essence of what sofa b brings and making a character-based toy into a piece of art and i think it's great and it's a accessible price point it was pretty widely available early on in fact i think i got mine for like 80 bucks and now, I mean, they're a little bit more expensive now, like in the 150 range, but this is not one that you're going to have to wait years and years and years and years to buy. So I absolutely love that one. I think that would be in my, kind of my five figures of the year. Yeah, I think Bullmark, Mechagodzilla, the Aurora, I think Megalon, uh, the 30-centimeter. The I think the uh, one of the two Marasan 350s I, I talked about, either Disco Goji or the Black Hall Sparkle Mechagodzilla. And then I'd probably put the one of the Mondos in there, probably the Umi variant, the designer con exclusive. And then, um, yeah. And then I would probably put the Shogun super seven in there. Once again, not my favorite figure, but it's contributions to Kaiju collecting, especially domestically. I, it's probably one of the best because it probably got in more hands than a lot of the other stuff outside of, outside of playmates and, and those toys. Um, and, and and I think it was a cool concept and it was really neat and unexpected and I think it caught a lot of people off guard. So I would I could defend that. Um, and you know what? The more I think about it, what about that really cool Spring Kaiju Festival, the Lavender Hetera D for real? I think that was something that was really awesome. Or one of the Onraku Onsakus, the the lottery exclusives. I mean, they could have been in there for Metacom, and I don't think anybody would have said anything. Um, or, or the final. Oh, you know what? Didn't think about it. The the final scene, Metacom. Uh, Anraku and Saku Godzilla, the the all skeletal one, that one people absolutely love. That one could easily be on there. So it would have been a really cool contest. Um, but to my point is, just because those lines X plus three, uh, thirty centimeter and um, Bullbark worked in the um, in the Kaiju Toy Line of the Year, doesn't mean that they didn't produce good toys. Because I would say probably the top two are from lines that weren't even represented. Um, so cool stuff. But anyway. The Jeffries were awesome, <laughs> and go and watch it, uh, and you will get to see Jake and I. Well, we'll get to see Jake the whole show because he's one of the freaking hosts, but we we do make an appearance uh, representing YHS on, on Monster Island. But, you know, kind of – I was thinking about this the other day, and it goes along with toys. Mondo and Super 7, this year, my, the, toy, the Kaiju to toy world might be best known for the fact that we now have – two very different style of companies in the kaiju landscape domestically now NECA was in there before and NECA was you know they, they produced affordable figures bam and of course playmates and that stuff but 
with Mondo and with Super 7, you're going to get different style of figures, meaning for Mondo, you have the, the statues and you get, they have the sofa bee line. And uh, with, um, uh, with Super 7, you have the reactions and you have ho hopefully the ultimates and whatever that might end up being. So you have that variation and they're just going to be more collectors focused, even though once again, NECA is great. I mean, I have, all, I collect TMNT, the animated series, NECA is wonderful, but you know, their Godzilla sculpts didn't do much for me, even though I used to collect them all. I don't own one now, um, but they didn't really fit into place. And I, and I like that at least Mondo and Super 7 are doing something differently or trying to. Whether they're successful at it long long term, I don't know. But I think that's kind of the number one news story of the year from the toys, isn't the all of the different awesome releases we got. It's the fact that now Mondo and Super 7 are not only in the game, but they're trying to make pretty big splashes mondo is a little bit ahead of super seven right now but you know i mean and and mondo has been if anything you know controversial and you know controversy creates cash right um but you have the animated statue which everybody was overjoyed because it's the first official release of the Anna barbera godzilla but people aren't loving the sculpt and, and people aren't loving the sculpt for the price point i bought mine i looked at it I didn't love it. I don't have an emotional connection to the Hanna-Barbera cartoon like some people do. So I want to be very clear. If I did, I get it. Um, I've overpaid for stuff that people look at and they're like, what the hell did you just buy? Um, as I look at my all green sparkly glitter Titanosaurus. But I'm okay overpaying for stuff you love. I didn't love it. And and I was able to you know, to sell it pretty quickly and and whatnot. And I, I forgot I even owned it. So like, yay. Um, but not everybody's favorite. And I'm not even going down the unfortunate placement of the really thick black line that that didn't even i didn't even notice that until it got brought up on social media and stuff so like i just was looking at it, i was like this is a non-articulated neca figure that they stuck on a stand and charged me six times the amount that i pay for a neca figure um so yeah um there was that and then of course all the the hubbub about mondo and the uh, basically how impossible it was to get the sofa bee items now once again sucks not cool um for us collectors because like we want to have the ability to get what we want but like for those familiar with mondo it's par for the course for those super familiar with sofa bee par for the course i mean these are always small production runs mondo always has everything sell out in, in two seconds try to get a tom Waitland print right it's possible um and so like none of that should have been shocking but somehow it still was i think it was the interesting cross-section of people going after these but they are also the attack peter statue is getting a lot of positive buzz as far as like everybody's excited about getting that the mondo the 89 statue um i've heard mixed reviews but you know it caused a lot of positive stuff and then of course you know i, I mentioned super seven and um and mondo we of course we still have playmates around but mezco now, I have issues with Mesco because I've pre-ordered all of them. I don't have them, and they're asking me to pre-order more. So I'm I'm a little curious if they're going to fall kind of the way that NECA did, where nothing is bad about them. The price points are fine for what they are, but do they fit into a niche with a common collector? Because what I feel as you evolve as a collector in Kaiju, it seems that you either go down one of two rabbit holes, or really one of three. It's like I I want to 
evolve or level up to the most realistic sculpts you have. And, you know, that eventually gets to X plus and that eventually gets to your XM studios and spiral studios and, you know, the two or $3,000 statue. Ones. Um, a lot of people stay in that X plus realm, um, which is awesome. It's a great realm to be in. Then, or you have people that eventually, you know, and we talked about this on the Sofa B Jamboree with the Kaiju All-Stars, you migrate over to Sofa B and then you start kind of going that route and it's exclusive there. And then the third one is you kind of do both. And that's what I'm in. Like I have probably 70, 30 Sofa B to X plus, maybe vintage Bandai. I put in that bucket um, loosely. And then, then so maybe, maybe 25 and then like 5% miscellaneous weird stuff. But um, you can go kind of one of those three routes and uh, and I don't know where Mezco fits. Like to me, I'm almost viewing Mezco as like the could it compete with vintage Bandai? Could it compete with Super Seven maybe on that first? I, I, I hesitate to use the word premium because you know there's different gradations of the of the word. But does Mezco fit in that first step you get when you get out of? Playmates and movie monster series and more modern uh, movie, more modern Bandai before you get into Sofa B or X plus or our SH monster arts. Maybe that would be kind of in there. Will it can be like a compete within that realm? I don't know. So it's interesting to see where Mesco fits in. I'm a little worried about my purchases. I think it was a fear of missing out, especially they led with destroy all monsters. And that movie means a lot to me, but also like I can get a lot of monsters for a pretty low price. My cost per monster is pretty good. Um, and so I bought it. I have a feeling that the Mezcos, even, even though they have Destroyer Monsters, they have Mothra with the Shobajin, uh, and then the, the recent one with, with Hedera, I have a feeling, I don't know if I'm going to keep those. Maybe I will. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see. It's, it's a fun time to be a kaiju collector because we're getting more Sophobi. We're getting, um, what's it getting more X plus, but X plus does, they, they do, they do what they want to do, man. Um, but then, you know, Playmates is releasing new stuff. Super 7 hopefully will get beyond just the reaction figures, even though they release some cool uh, teases on that. Mondo is going to continue to grow and evolve and get better at Kaiju, um, hopefully soon. Um, and then, you know, we're still going to get our thousands of Bandai Movie Monster series and now Mezco. Um, so there seems to be a toy line and a brand for every style of collector and that's something that if you would have told me that in the early 90s when I got my first Bandai uh, toy from Japan, I would have been like, are you kidding me? Like, wh what? There's different echelons to collecting, and, and it's just amazing. So it's a good time to be that. And, you know, I'm going to continue to push. I would say, like, I, I get more excited probably when I hear the new releases for um, Sophie than I do for X+. Plus. That doesn't mean I'm getting rid of my X+. Plus. Um, I'm getting rid of one though, but anyway, um, but I still have the ones that I like. And I think that they do feel that, that niche for me, that need, that desire to have some movie accurate, really awesome sculpts. And I enjoy them being in my room and looking at them and be like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That, that, that does look like Titanosaurus. Yes. That does look like Godzilla 1991 or whatever it might be. So I'm excited about that, but I do tend to glare more at my amazing wall there of Marasan 350 Bio which is going to be getting bigger. Um, we'll have a space danger conversation at a later date because I'm really hitting that right now and I'm getting a little little scared. I might have to get rid of like full collections, which I'm not cut out for, but we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see. So there was that. That was kind of what I picked up, but I also picked up one more thing, or I guess I picked up the, the dark uh, glitter one, but I did pick up because I do love Titanosaurus. Everybody knows that. 
Um, so I did pick up this awesome Marasan uh, Titano. I love this colorway. So a lot of my Titanos are really wacky colorways, bright yellow or glitter or whatever they might be. But I do like the more, and I'm going to use the term loosely here, realistic, not movie accurate. But, you know, this is like, if this was a, the paint job on the actual monster in the film, you know, you'd be cool, especially like Showa era. This would make sense. I mean, it comes out in translucent green glitter. Ah, not so much, but I do dig this guy. The Marsan scope with the tongue sticking out is always great. Um, and, uh, and I love this one. And so I picked this guy up as well. I'm not, my Titanosaurus collection is solid, not great. I think I'm at seven or eight of them. Um, but I just, I just love Titanosaurus. I love Terror of Mechagodzilla. I love Titanosaurus. I love just how awkwardly the design, like he's so tall. Um, and, uh, and that he doesn't have any like beam weapons. And we talked about this on, on monster islands. Like I tend to like the, you know, the Angruses and Gorosaurus that have to use other tactics other than just shooting radiation or lasers. Um, and I mean, the, well, I guess he has the tornado tail. So you got that, but I love Titanosaurus and I was really excited to pick this guy up for, a really, really good deal. Um, so yeah, so cool stuff there. My favorite Titanosaurus, Sofa B. You know what? It might be the M1, the the red and blue one that you see a lot that comes with the mini Bullmark, uh, uh, the mini Bullmark Mechagodzilla doing the touchdown pose. Um, I like that one a lot. Um, and then and then the Marasan, the bright yellow one, I really dig a lot. That was one of those I bought. It's like, I'm going to sell this. And I was like, I was like, I don't want to sell this. Please don't sell. And I was like, you know, why don't I just keep it? So anyway, so not a ton of pickups. I have a lot of stuff coming in. And I'm hoping by the time Jake and I record the Geigen episode next week, I'll have some more cool stuff to show off. Um, but right now, those are my two. But they're good, too. I like the two. Um, so anyway, so... I guess, you know, I can talk about my state of collecting. You know, I mean, I, I mentioned it a little bit already, but I'm, I'm a little nervous about space. But for the most part, I feel I'm in a good place as far as my rules, right? And all of us, we kind of put rules on ourselves. I love um, the, you know, the, the president of YHS, the godfather, Craig. Uh, he talks about his rules and how they're, you know, ambiguous and and always changing and volatile and, and whatnot and and it's kind of a running joke there and it's funny because craig's funny but i i think a lot of us do give ourselves sort of rules whether it's by line or just overall in general and, and we tend to go away from those we tend to um you know the, the rules change over time and that's fine that's awesome and my path has been very similar to a lot of kaiju collectors you know where i've kind of gone through the the lower price entry level stuff to Sofa B to, you know, X plus and whatnot. But I feel really good now where I can, I don't have a fear of missing out on X plus anymore. And I never really did. Cause I got into X plus way later in the game than a lot of folks. Um, it just, it didn't mean a lot to me um, at those price points as a collector. And until I got a few and I was like, Holy cow. Um, so I don't have that fear of missing out. Now, with that being said, did I just pre-order two X plus items like literally 30 minutes ago that just hopped on the, uh, the Shonen Rick site today? Yeah, I did. So the Godzilla Gigan 25 centimeter two pack, and I don't even collect in that scale. Um, I have one 25 centimeter. Nope. Two, I have two 25 centimeters. Everything else I have is 30. Uh, and I even got a Defa rule, which I don't collect at all. Gigan, the Rick with the light up eye. So I wanted those. I got them. Now, it's easy to say you want every X plus because you do, but like, you know what I mean? Like there's, 
I would love to have it. And there's like, I need it. I want it really bad. And and if I get to that level, I'm all about it. But, but I tend to like, that's more of a, I think I'm getting to a place where I'm pretty good at kind of handpicking what I want. Whereas sofa beats a little bit harder for me. Um, and it's not necessarily a fear of missing out because there's so many releases, there's so much stuff. And you can't just be like, that's cool. Because if you do that, then you would literally buy like 15,000 figures a year. Um, but I, I get a little bit more, I don't know. I, I think I might, I'm going to put it like this. Over 2022, I'm probably going to buy a lot more sofa bee items that I end up selling or giving away just because I thought I wanted them a lot at the time. And maybe, maybe that wasn't the case. Whereas X plus, I feel I'm going to be pretty darn accurate on it. So we'll see. But uh, that's kind of where I'm at from a collecting standpoint. And I, I love when I get to talk to a lot of the other collectors around here and, and across the board, because it's so funny, the variety that and the interests of these people so you know and this is one of the cool things i think about kaiju collecting versus versus the more i don't want to say popular but the more kind of accessible lines star wars and um, ninja turtles and transformers and gi joe and, and i love all those lines to some degree but at the end of the day like i'll compare kaiju to star wars right both have tons of property or tons of um product out there across a, a wide time frame um and there's newer fans coming in all the time and there's newer stuff being released today and there's stuff that's you know 40 50 years old that is is very um desirable but here's the thing with star wars you have people that are either they collect what they want or they want to complete everything you very rarely have people that only collect stormtroopers there are there people that of course i only care about ewoks i only care about you know, people from the prequels or this one film. Usually, and once again, generalized statement, usually you collect everything. Whereas in kaiju collecting, you will have people that I only care about certain kaiju or I only care about certain design elements. You know, um, whether it's I only want sofobi items that, you know, are, uh, you know, that are translucent or I only want um, uh, items from the Heisei era. Like that is more common and just the fact that like everything kind of fits in general toy, it seems like when you talk about Star Wars, where it's Godzilla, you have hyper-realism, you have statu- hyper-realistic statues, you have um, Sophobie, and these are broader terms than, yes, are there statues in Star Wars? Of course there are statues. There's tons of great ones. But, you know, it's it's not necessarily as a, it's not as big of a chasm between statues and collecting action figures as in Sophobie, or excuse me, as in Kaiju, where it's like, that's a totally different collecting mindset and style, those that collect X Plus versus those that collect Sophie. So it's very interesting, and uh, and it's very different, and I love that about kaiju collecting. But it is, like I said, it's very different, and it's a hard thing for people to understand when they're coming in from only collecting Transformers and G.I. Joe, right? Like, I need to get the latest Baroness. I need to get the latest Optimus Prime is different than – I need to find the one day pop-up exclusive Morrison 350, you know, hetera with, um, you know, rainbow glitter and, and whatever. Like it's just a different, a different world. Um, and that happens all the time. It's not one celebration exclusive Luke Skywalker. It's every day. There's multiple exclusives from different companies um, and different Kaiju. And so it's just so different. And not, one's not better than the other. I'm not, please don't please star Wars fans. Ghostbusters fans, Transformers fans, don't take that. This is not a 
superiority play. It's a difference play. And, and it's one, I think it's an education piece that when people come in that listen to Jake and I talk about Godzilla collecting, it is different than some of the other type of toy collecting out there. And once again, it's not better or worse. It's just, it is what it is, right? Um, but anyway, I've, I've talked long enough about kind of collecting and what I picked up this week. <laughs> you know, I got two items and I'm going to talk for 20 minutes about it. But um, so that was that was kind of cool. Um, and then normally Jake and I would then transition very smoothly into talking about what we watched. And so this is an interesting one because if you go back, for those that have listened from day one to YHS on Monster Island, when we first started talking about, hey, have you seen anything lately? Jake, like, I think the first time we did that, maybe episode two or three, he mentioned a movie called The Legend of Firefly Marsh. Never heard of it. I think he read the back of the VHS, which was just amazing. And it was just, I, my mind was blown. And I had the hardest time finding this thing. Amazon sold out. There were no copies on eBay. Um, I even went to my library because it's put out by the Phoenix Learning Group. So it's something that, you know, you would, they, they sold a lot to teachers and educators and such to play in their classrooms. You know, there, there's a moral to be taught here. And I waited for like six weeks in the library. And then they said, you know, we can't get, we can't have, get access to a copy. Like, uh, eventually over the last, I don't know, seven or eight months, at some point, the Phoenix Learning Group put them on their site for purchase, either a DVD or a digital copy. So I bought the DVD, um, had to find a DVD player, found one. Uh, somewhere here in the house, and I watched it. And how Jake described it was spot on. It is something that you would totally see played in a classroom, and it was charming. It was better than it had any right to be. Um, you know, they treated it seriously at first. It's funny. So at first, I I was a little worried, and this is not to get on a religious ta tangent or anything, but I was worried because I think in the first like ten minutes they and it's only a thirty minute film short film. And so they said like eight times, like, you got to have faith. You don't have to see it to believe it. You've never seen the pyramids or whatever, like stuff that laced with some flawed logic, but yes. Uh, and I was like, is this like a, like a, something that we played at like a Southern Baptist lock-in you know, to middle schoolers? Like what the heck? But, but it totally pivots away from that. It, it is not, it is not one of those. Um, and, and if you like that, great. Um, but it was interesting. So it's uh, it's a pretty simple story, and there's not a lot to it. There's not a lot of like unpredictable nature to it, but it's well done. I mean, it's it's well acted, but essentially, it's a large plesiosaur type dinosaur uh, is uh, you know is stuck in the Finger Lakes and is stuck in a lock, and um, and the grandpa as a kid was you know. I don't know if he discovered it, but like he had a run in with it, him and his buddy who went on to become a famous, famous author, or at least originally famous author. And his grandson would come and listen to these stories. And Oh, the grandpa turned out to, to be kind of the, the guy that oversees the, the lake there, the, the marsh. And, and the grandfather was the one that the adults were the one that were like, yeah, this is real. And the kids are like, no way, which is kind of a nice, you know, a little bit of a juxtaposition from what we typically see here and see. So, it was cool. And then of course the goal was like to, you know, they're, they're building condos and, and commercial real estate was coming over and putting a mini mall or something there on the marsh. And, you know, if the, if the dinosaur didn't get out, he would never get out and be trapped there forever. So they risked their lives and, and let him, you know, set him free. 
And so, okay, the end, well done. I mean, there were some actually some tense moments in there when they're freeing him. I was like, wow, the monster looks great. It's a great kind of plesiosaur from the 80s style of uh, of uh, special effects. Like, it looked great. It was fun. Um, there was nothing super hokey about it. It could have been, but they, they didn't. It was cool. I, as a kid, I would have loved this. And then the the cool part is at the very end, like it swims out to sea. You think the end. Oh, but no. It arrives in what is loosely supposed to be Scotland, I believe. Uh, and at least this is how I interpreted it. And in the distance, you see another head ripped from the water. And so this is supposed to be some connectivity there to Loch Ness and Nessie, which I thought was hilarious and awesome and amazing. And they do it. And I say hilarious. Like it wasn't done tongue in cheek. It was done like in a very like realistic, like treated with respect type moment. And it was great. It was a fun 30 minutes. Um, I think my kids are a little young right now for it, but that's something that, you know, a six, seven year old would, especially one that likes dinosaurs or monsters or fairy tales, I think would love it. Highly recommend it. Legend of Firefly Marsh, Phoenix Learning Group. You can find their site and you can get it from there. It's great. Um, and so thank you, Jake, for that recommendation. I, I, it sucks. It took me almost a year to watch it, but I'm glad it turned out as good as you said it was. And I, I loved it. Like I said, charming is the right word for this and it is uh it will warm your heart it's really good um and i absolutely absolutely dug it so that's number one on the what i've watched the other two might be a little bit more i don't know in depth first thing is let's talk ultraman now i'm not going to get to a deep dive in ultraman because that's a whole podcast uh, not, not like a single podcast like a whole podcast series but i do want to say like and we've talked a little bit about this on YHS, on Monster Island, not a ton. We haven't gone too deep down kind of like the the Henshin subgenre of, of tokusatsu, but you know, your common Riders and Super Sentai and Ultramans of the World. But we've talked about, you know, both Jake and I, I think are similar in that, that we didn't necessarily get into Ultraman at the same time that we got into Kaiju and Godzilla. A lot of people do. Um, we've always been aware of it, but like, did we sit down and watch all of the Ultraman episodes? No. So we're very similar, but um, so it's newer. It's not new, but it's newer than like Godzilla and some other other franchises. And so I went this recently. I've just been rewatching Ultraman sixty six, and and it's one of those where like I a lot of the episodes I've seen them multiple times. It's kind of one that I can put on in the background, even subtitles. Put it on the background. It's just, it's always it's bright, it's colorful, it's vibrant, it's silly, it's fun, and it's great background. And it really is. Um, I'm never going to stop and like, oh, I want to watch this entire episode uh, and stop what I'm doing. But it's also like I'm never like ignoring it. It's it's happy. It's like having a, a really upbeat, positive song on in the background while you're cleaning or something. And uh, but I've been watching it, actually watching it, not just keeping it on in the background. And I it, it's reinforced like my theories on the first one um, or my not theory, I guess, but how I interpret or I, you know, kind of view it. That first series is very uneven. Uh, it is like. It can be a little schizophrenic for me, and since like it's an episode that I absolutely adore, and then it's an episode that I'm like, whoa, like no, 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 no. So, I, I I envision me having an episode where Jake and I talk about, you know, the top five, our top five, at least our bottom five Ultraman uh, from Ultraman sixty six. But like, I love like the first episode, the last episode, and um, you know, there's the monster graveyard and and stuff like that, but there's some that I just, 
I just like that was a that was a hard watch, you know. Um, and then there's some kaiju that it's like, and we get like low budget. It's really silly, you know. You're gonna see, you know, heads fall off and suit zippers and things like that. Like you, you can't watch Ultraman going there and thinking it's gonna be amazing. And we're all pretty accustomed to that being fans of Godzilla, but even a step below or above, depending how you look at it. Uh, and uh, and some of them it's just it's just hard. But like I mean. Like I said, I don't want to spend too time, too much time on these episodes or on the episodes that I absolutely love and absolutely hate. But I just, I'm just so shocked, and it's crazy that there's so much variability because it is such a formulaic show, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's like problem monsters at the heart of the problem. Science Patrol can't quite figure it out, can't quite do it. Ultraman comes is kind of the the deciding factor. Everybody's happy, um, and now some episodes stray away from that, of course, but for the most part, like. That's what it is. Um, and I think that's why the last episode's so jarring, the kind of the conclusion there. I think that's what why it's so damn good is because it does not only does it break away from the formula, but it just it just catches you off guard. Even even though I've seen that I don't even know how many times, like I still might kudos to Subarai and them for doing that. But um anyway, I, so I just I'm excited to maybe go a little bit deeper into Ultraman. I've never have I've never had any real desire to do um, a lot of the, after Ultra 7, really, it just to me, like, it just, it's never really been something that's been top of mind, but I, I'm excited to eventually get down and, and do that. Um, I don't know if I'll do that with Super Sentai. Common Riders, when I want to revisit the first series again, I really like the first series of Common Riders, so I'm excited to rewatch that. Um, if I do that, I have to get Travis Alexander from Kaiju Weekly on. I mean, that guy knows more about Common Rider than all of us put together. Um, that would be really fun. But, uh, but you know, I don't know an Ultraman. I, I really think we need to do some deep dives into that. But I just, I just love how uneven the first season. I love it, but it is uneven, and I, I know a lot of people disagree because, you know, that's a good way to pick a fight. Go to a Tokusatsu room and tell people that you Ultraman's not your favorite. I mean, people be throwing right hands at me. So, but anyway, um, I did. Well, I've been watching a lot of Ultraman. We'll continue to do so, and at some point, I would like to have a little roundtable on that and really just kind of see how different. You know, when there's nearly 40 episodes in the first series, like how different our opinions are on what the good episodes were versus what the bad episodes were. I don't know. I, I think it'd be interesting. Um, so if you watch that. And the other one, going a little bit more on brand. Um, so if you'd have asked me over the last, I don't know, 20 years, my favorite Heisei movies, I kind of rank them. And, you know, at the top's always going to be Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. Always at the top's going to be Biollante. Um, and I would say, and, and Destroyer, sorry, those three. And always at the bottom is going to be Space Godzilla and Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. That, that middle tier of like Mothra um, and, uh, um, and 85 or Return of kind of like fluctuate and stuff like that, right? But I rewatched Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. And I've seen that one so many times. And I think I, you always hear me, the first thing out of my mouth is always like convoluted time, traveling storyline, unnecessary. You know, it's, it's a very bloated film. Um, there was the all the pseudo-manufactured anti-Americanism stuff that came out of it that I think kind of like, I don't know, it just spoiled what could have been a more fun film. And uh, but I rewatched it recently. I have to tell you, like, I'm softening my stance on Ghidra. Now, now is it, I want to be careful I'll say this. Is there still Major Spielberg and is there still the Dorats, which I know some people disagree with me on this. Um, is there still some of the controversial um, stuff, you know, the awesome running scene? Still one of my favorites. So Red Dwarf. But um, yeah, of course. 
but I think when you start focusing on like some of the very the, the positives, they're very good. Um, and I think what really stood out to me is, and this is not going to catch anybody off guard. I'm not breaking news here, right? But like I've really focused in on on uh, Yoshia Suchia's uh, Shindo, and Suchia just does such a good job. And we all talk about the scene, right? <laughs> Blow, you know. Uh, his stare down with Godzilla, but that whole movie and oh, until he has the stare down with Godzilla, he's wonderful. Um, and yeah, I mean, Suchi is not any stranger to big roles. I mean, even in Godzilla, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Commander of Planet X, I mean, he was the human vapor, he was the leader of the Mysterians, I mean, he was uh, had a major role in Seven Samurai. Like, I mean, the dude's the dude's the dude, but I, I think Shindo might have been. At least quality per second on screen might be his best performance, um, and it's so good. And and maybe it's because I was focusing on it so much that I I was it was quicker to overlook some of the other elements. Or I've just seen it fifty five times, and so guess what? Like it doesn't bother me how stupid the major Spielberg scenes are. Like it, I don't maybe, um, but it's one I think all you have to do to appreciate that movie is watch it seventy five times. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the the law of of uh, increasing returns on that one. I don't know. But I I feel every time I've watched it, I hate it less. I don't know if I'm going to put it over. Maybe maybe it can get close to Mothra. Maybe it can maybe that's the next can it eventually get over? I don't know, but um but Suchia stands out and uh, I forget the actor's name that plays Terasawa. I mean, he's fine in it. And and the casting is great. I mean, you have a lot of great cameos. Um I think the casting is wonderful. The human element, the human performances are pretty solid to me it's not spielberg it's not the dorats it's not the time traveling necessarily that uh that really still kind of annoys me and of course the visual of mecha king gira is great need that x plus um they need to make one um the issue with me is like i've never enjoyed and we talked about this actually on our new year new to kaiju with abby i just never enjoyed they were so specific about Godzilla's origins. And of course, that's, once again, not breaking news here, but that is the one thing that has not ever really sat right with me and it has not improved over time. Like, it, it's not that they did a terrible job with it. It's not that it's not a, a logical idea. It's the fact that Godzilla as a representation of the negativity uh, and the what nuclear... Uh, power can do or and and uh the misuse of, of nuclear energy can do and radiation and with the after effects of radiation and everything it's the fact that it's more vague and ambiguous right it, it could be anywhere it could be causing anything I, the fact that it's so specific to the one dinosaur and, and a friendly dinosaur you know that you know it's like denver the last dinosaur i i don't know i think it takes a little bit of a of the luster and though they try to bump it up by you know saying like basically that there's the nuclear sub and it had even more power and made it more powerful it just didn't it was too little too late so i still think that's the fundamental flaw in the film everything else you can look past because a lot of godzilla movies have silly stuff i mean we praise godzilla versus Bailante, and i mean it has a corny cartoon sound effect the boing on his head so like we can look past that so i can look past major spielberg but i can't look past kind of the too much specificity around the origins of godzilla but 
once again, softening on it, I think Suchia is really the key there. And that role of Shindo is, is so good. And he's so wonderful. I mean, it's not even just the scene. It's not, it's just the fact that you take this guy that is, he has to bo- walk the line of being both an, a military commander that is about to die. Him and his, his garrison are trapped and they're about to get just waylaid by the American military. And do that authentically. And then he has to become a dinosaur-obsessed, eccentric billionaire that has to shield um, answers from these reporters and, and you know this nosy writer and everything. And he does that with even more authenticity. And then he's also supposed to have the, the emotional chops to be able to deliver one of the most emotional scenes in all the Godzilla continuum. Not many can do that. Suchia was, I think, uniquely made for that role, and he, and he does a wonderful job. So kudos to the late, great um, Suchia there for, for Shindo. But I think Shindo outshines the movie. It's kind of like uh, Jeff Bridges and in, in, in The Crazy Heart. But anyway, that was a random comment. But anyway, um, so we had that. So that was uh, those were kind of the three things that I watched. I'm watching some Ultraman. I did just finish King Ghidra uh, 91, and then, uh, and then I did watch Legend of Firefly Marsh. And don't watch them all. I mean, I recommend them all to some degree. Not every Ultraman episode, but to some degree. So the next thing that we typically do, as I'm still rolling here, um, we talk about the news, and there's been a little news. Um, some of it I'm going to say for my conversation with Jake, because I don't want to steal all of it. But I, I want to do a follow-up to all, all the news that came out of Wonderfest, because there was a lot. There were so many great um, new releases and stuff that came out, and a lot of them will be on Toku Toy Town. Um, and this episode is brought to you by Toku Toy Town, your home for Gaiju collectibles, Tokusatsu toys, and rare sofa bee. We know you have great taste in your podcast because you're listening to us. Well, hey, how about you get some great taste in your Gaiju collectibles at tokutoytown.com? Anyway, that was a non paid advertisement. So, uh, um, but there was a lot of cool stuff that came out of it. And so I mentioned it, I alluded to it earlier the Godzilla versus Gigan, uh, the two pack, the 25 centimeter line from X Plus is out. The Gigan and the Varan uh, D4Rills are out uh, right now. You can go order those from the uh, the Shodan Rick side, but also from Awesome Collector and some of the other places. I'm sure it'll be on Big Bad Toy Store um, if you want to wait an extra seven months to get it. Um, they're out there. So good stuff there. Those things, I think, start shipping in July or August, which is great. But um, the M1 uh, Subaraya, I'm sorry, the M1 54 that was the Subaraya Museum exclusive originally, like the guy with the plane, that's coming out soon. I think we're starting to see some of the, the M1s, the What to Do with the Dead Kaiju, uh, Kaiju have been out there and some of the other cool stuff. So um, that's just wanted to mention that, like, hey, the stuff's getting out there now. Uh, the Sun Guts, uh, the especially the, the skeletal shin um, final form is awesome. Like That stuff's coming out there. So go, guys, go out there, buy it. Support all these great sofa be manufacturers um, but uh, and retailers. Um, I know one that's really great and is very happy to, to do business with you. Um, but there's that stuff that that's out there. But there's a few other things that were uh, that hit recently, and I got to talk about the uh, the XM Studios, the Ultraman uh, one that was released. And you know, it's funny because I was talking about just watching Ultraman in that final um, in that final episode, and just how like I don't know, shocking is not the right word, but I, I just I love how they went about it. Um, and one of the uh, the collectibles that, you know, kind of hit recently, um, and I'm trying to pull it up here so if I can if I can find it here. There it is. The uh, XM Studios released the kind of, not 
final scene, but the final episode, uh, Ultraman, where he's standing over the Science Patrol headquarters. And that thing, yeah, it was XM Studios. Um, that thing is absolutely stunning. And once again, like, it's it's cool because of the detail, and you get Ultraman in that defensive pose above the Science Patrol headquarters, which is about to be destroyed. Um, and I don't know, it just, it's one of those things where it's like kind of the final act of that original Ultraman. Um, not the final one, but you know what I mean, the final episode. At the time, the final act, but uh, before Arashi saves the day. But um, I love it. And I think that's that's one that you know. I, I grant it; it'll probably be a thousand bucks. I think it is like a thousand forty nine. But this is one that, for an Ultraman fan, I, I could see it being worth it because there's nothing out there like this. It's either just Ultraman and you get some of the Metacom Science Patrols, Sophie the items, but this is wonderful. So I absolutely thought that was uh, that was worth talking about because it was it was so so cool and so unique. And um, the other one was, uh, you know, I, I saw that the Godzilla store is re-releasing some of the 50th anniversary Marasan Godzilla store exclusive Lucky Bag Gigans. Great. Those things have been impossible to get. Like I have one and I have the silver one and I was able to, uh, Tokyo Toy Town was able to secure one, like the rose goldy one. It actually was kind of red actually, but it appeared with the glitter. Um, and we got one. That's two. And one, like I said, one was me. I'm not letting that bad boy go. Um, these things have been hard to get. I saw that they're re-releasing that, which is which is great. And hopefully we'll get more of these out in the wild. That's too cool of a figure. I get you want exclusivity, right? And you want some like, um, I want to be in an exclusive club that has this figure. This is too good of a figure, Marsan. Like this is advertising and marketing. Like you can't have this figure and not want more Marsan. Um, and I saw they also releasing a, a Geigen plush that was really cool and just some other, some other Geigen merchandise. But the big news for me, and I once again mentioned it earlier, Briefly, a new Marasan 89, uh, this green glitter with yellow dorsal fins and kind of yellow streaks and yellow goldish uh, claws and toes and stuff. It, it's awesome. I mean, it's a must-have. So I don't know how easy that boy is going to be to get. But those uh, those two items, uh, really excited when those are going to be on the marketplace, re-releasing the Geigen and uh, – oh, excuse me – and uh, this Marasan uh, Godzilla uh, 89. So – so very cool. Um, so that was some of the the other news. I thought of that not a ton. Um, you know, those were I'd say the, the biggest two. Um, yeah, I would say there's the biggest two out there um, from a from a news standpoint. There, yeah, guys, I get it. There's the one big news item that may have come out of Toho. I'm not talking about that now. Well, Jake and I will cover that hopefully next week. So I'm gonna punt that one. Uh, we'll be like the 900th person to talk about it and give our projections on what who it could be or what it could be about and all that good stuff. But we will save that one. Um, and then as far as I don't have a main topic, I did have a couple of things I was just kind of thinking about this week, and I'll bring them up here. I mean, I'm, I could go 30 seconds on them. But uh, one of the things was, you know, I was – when I was watching the Jeffries, and I was listening to some some old um, – the old catalog, the back catalog on, on YHS, and, and I was listening to some Ghostbusters stuff. And obviously those that are in the Ghostbusters world – uh, I'm not, but those that are, no, they're kind of the core to that fandom. And they have these like regional groups, right? They have the the Georgia Ghostbusters, the I'm sure there's the Texas Ghostbusters or whatever. And they do lots of good stuff. And that's not what I'm to talk about. But they have these regional fandoms. I feel like I don't think that happens here with Kaiju. And I'm curious, and I'm not saying like there'll be groups that go out and they do charitable events, but I'm even talking about like 
I mean, it seems like a lot of the, and once again, outsider looking in, I'm going to say things about the Ghostbusters community I know nothing about. Um, but, you know, you do have this regional flair, right? This regional um, camaraderie that is, you know, the, the Alabama Ghostbusters, uh, the the New Jersey Ghostbusters all know each other and stuff like that. And we just don't have these regionalized fandoms in Kaiju. And, and you know, it's maybe it's because we're so coastal because with a lot of international properties, it's, it's a really heavy, obviously, in the West Coast and the East Coast, um, specifically like New York. And then, of course, like with the you know, with Japanese, obviously, with, with L.A. and San Francisco uh, and, and to some degree, Seattle and such uh, factoring in there. I don't know because it's so coastal. And then Chicago is big, even though it's not on the coast, because, you know, GFS has been there for so long and it's a huge city. But I, I, I miss that. I would love to have, you know, the, the Texas Kaiju meetup and, and to do things Kaiju related. Uh, and it's not, you can't give me the whole, well, there's not always Godzilla media. Or there hasn't always been Godzilla media. Um, there hasn't always been Ghostbusters media. They do a damn good job of it. So once again, not saying that it's, it's, there needs to be a regional fandom because of, we need to create these formal groups that, you know, go do charitable events and stuff. I'm just saying, I, I just, the, it's, it's such a international and national property and um, kind of how the fans view themselves. I just wish, I think that'd be cool to be able to have more regional uh, kind of, like I said, regional fandoms, regional uh, camaraderie, um, people that are proud to be part of, you know, insert city or state or region here, uh, Kaiju fans. And you could, it might even lend itself to, as you grow and foster that, to more cool events you know a lot of these groups you run out theaters and do screenings you, you do things like that you do toy swaps do you know you name it um you know you pull you take the resources find somebody to do a meet and greet do an autograph signing things like that which could be really cool or just go out and have a beer and talk about why titanosaurus is awesome i don't know um but that's one thing that just always struck me as odd that you don't have as many local groups um and yeah I'm sure if we had a headquarters, it would be in New York, probably right outside of Toy Tokyo, or it would be in uh, San Francisco or LA or Chicago. I guess Chicago has G Fest, so they, they already got something. But um, I guess that's Rosemont. But anyway, uh, I think that would be cool. So I'm curious like, I, are there reasons, like, I'm not overlooking something that's so simple, or are there regional phantoms y'all just have blocked me? I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. I don't know. But I would just felt that. It'd be cool to um, have more localized stuff uh, with Kaiju because there's enough of us out there. I mean, I, believe me, I, I sell enough. I know where a lot of the fans are based on where I send a lot of my toys. Um, but uh, there's enough in, in every region, uh, every major region, to to have some Kaiju fandom and stuff. So that would be really cool. And when you go to cons and when you go to toy shows, you might have more of a presence when that fandom has been cultivated in that market. I mean, I've been to. I don't know, five or six toy shows here as a vendor. And I don't know if I've ever seen any booth that's been exclusively Kaiju and, and Sofa B or Kaiju collectibles outside of mine. There have been some that have like a random Playmates here or a random Imperial Godzilla here or something. But for the most part, it's it's very, very not Kaiju focused. And I know that's not because there's not a lot of Kaiju fans here, but just doing that and sharing that information and uh, drumming up support, we might see more people want to come down here to uh, to be able to booth and be a vendor and, and get those great items and that knowledge and everything and that camaraderie, uh, you know, and spread it across the landscape. And I think regionalized fandoms would would help out a lot to that. And it doesn't do anything to discredit or disservice the 
national ones. They're always going to be there. The Facebook groups are always going to be there. Uh, and you're still going to be able to go to collect all monsters and talk to those guys and uh, the Kaiju Collectors Club and the X Plus Collectors Club. That's great. But um, I think there could be more for those kind of mid-level and, and smaller uh, grassroots types of events. And I think that would cultivate even more of an engaged fan group than because we're just not compared to the other major properties in the U.S. It's just not. It's just that's the reality. And I would love for that to change to a bit. And, uh, and, and, you know, could a state like Texas or a city, uh, I mean, metropolitan area like Dallas, Fort Worth be one that's not traditionally thought of as a kaiju community? Maybe, maybe it could, it has enough people and that probably has enough fans, but I think it'd be a good kind of Petri dish to understand if, if kaiju collecting in Godzilla could be a region in Tokusatsu, maybe, maybe you broaden it even more, could have a nice regional fandom. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk about what I know here. I mean, we have very little in kaiju and tokusatsu, but you know, because um, uh, Funimation is here and some other uh, big companies like anime is gigantic in Dallas-Fort Worth. I mean, it has four or five of the biggest conventions in the country happen here. So, like, it's kind of a pseudo-adjacent lot. You know, it's, it's you know Japanese culture, right? So, I don't know. I think I think there's something there, and I think I would love to explore that. And so that was. That's something that's just been on my mind. The other thing that's been on my mind, and, and a little bit more, a little bit lighter, I would say, was I was on one of those national fan groups. I want to say it was the Collect All Monsters group. I could be wrong, um, but uh, it was because it was it was David Dobko, the great David Dobko, one of the the most intelligent uh, and smartest folks when it comes to resources, when it comes to the world of Sophie, uh, but just kaiju in general. Um, and and I love him and Kyle Yount when they we sit up, sitting in through watching youtube with those two and and uh and john ruffin and leslie chambers and, and christine are all just chatting away and talking it's great to see just um the knowledge being shared and spread um but anyway david a great guy awesome point photographer as well i think he posed the question like what if there was a sophie hall of fame like what would you induct uh, and there was all these great answers like every one of them could have been in there but i was actually thinking about that like what if there was Physical or virtual doesn't matter. You know, if it's more like the Baseball Hall of Fame or it's more like the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, I think it's an interesting topic. And I think it's one that we can you could really break down and have a very good conversation on. And I think a lot of folks I saw and they were posting their favorite figures. Nothing wrong with that. There's a reason they're your favorite. Probably because it's there was good stuff that, you know, that it was it looked cool or it was significant or whatever. Uh, might just have sentimental value. Maybe you're First girlfriend gave it to you. I don't know. But when you're talking about the initial class, right? I mean, you think about the initial classes of Hall of Fames. I think of the initial class of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yeah, you got Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and Walter Johnson and Honus Wagner and Christy Mathewson, right? Like you're, other than Cy Young, you got all of the, the, the early, the early uh, uh, pioneers of the game. When you talk about the first class of Sophie, I, I think you have to be careful not to let personal because it's art right it's these aren't statistics it's art pieces but like I, I once again it's it's something that even even something as fictional as the pro wrestling hall of fame like you still have these characters were given enough uh you know responsibility to carry a title belt or make money like the, you know this is interesting like how you could do because it's an art piece right and you can't just go by what sold the most because availability and lots of variables that factor into that but Anyway, so my head, here's where my head was at. And I was like, well, you you have to have, and I say half, like you don't have to have any of this, but I would start with that original 
Morrison, 1966, Godzilla, you know, the, the you know, brought the, the concept of the JTEL into the vernacular. Um, that, that one has to be in there because it's the first vinyl Godzilla. And it's still being repurposed today in countless colorways. So it has lasting ability. It's iconic. It's there, right? Like it is truly, and it's Morrison. It's the first. And it wasn't just the first and you forgot about it, but it's the first and it's still held to such high esteem. So that first one has to be in there. Kind of in my early pioneers mindset, I also include that 1970 Bullmark um, giant Godzilla. And the reason for that is obvious. It was in Godzilla versus Hedera. It probably had more eyeballs on it than any of them at the time because it was in there. And it's such an iconic scene. And it's a great figure that has been repurposed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Those two, I think, are must-haves. And then since it's Sofa B Hall of Fame, and, and we'll we'll condense it down. We'll say kind of Kaiju Tokusatsu Sofa because, you know, we we could get into some stuff that you know, I'm sure is really important. Like, you know, we could talk about, you know, uh, a lot of the, the robots and the superheroes and things like that. Let's say it's Kaiju and um, Tokusatsu for now. That the initial line from Ultra Q, the Ultra Monsters and such and, and whatnot, I don't know if there's one that stands out as like, this is, this represents that line, right? Is it Kanagon? Is it, who is it, Right. I think that line kind of has to go in as a series, as an early pioneer, like, because it truly was the first, like the first Sophobie Kaiju line. And if it did not succeed, we wouldn't have got anything. So those three are kind of like in that early pioneer, right? Like those are no brainers. And one I know is a little bit of a cheat because it's a line, but you know, you can induct, there's no rules here. So I can induct the line in as, as a, the first ballot hall of famer. Then, you know, you don't want to just go entirely like all the old stuff, right? Yeah, it's important. Agreed. But that's not that you know, the Hall of Fame wouldn't be as accessible and 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 mean as much. So I was thinking, what is a Sophie item that is like when you say Sophie or you see it represented in most media, what's an item that is typically chosen for that? Or What's one that was our gateway to collecting Sophie for the gateway for a lot of people? And I think one satisfies both those. And I think it's the Haro Nakajima, the M1. It's been repurposed many times, which is a good sign. I, I think, I don't know, three out of every five people I talked to, that was their first Sophie item. Like it really was one of the variants. And it's used, like you see that in whether it's, Shops or you know advertising for shops or or online stores or whatever. When you talk sofa B, you typically see a Haru Nakajima in there somewhere, right? Like it is, you almost have to have one. In fact, I don't have one up at Tokyo Toy Town right now. I've sold the ones I had. Like I feel like I'm not a real sofa B seller. Um, so that one, the M1 Nakajima, to me, I think is a wonderful representation and one of the best. And then I was thinking for the other one uh, and. I guess we could talk rules like what, you know, like in baseball, you have to sit out five years, right? Before you can be eligible for Hall of Fame. I do think there needs to be like a 10 year marker because we're not going to be inducting, you know, the glitter disco goji as much as I love that because we don't know it's lasting power. We don't know it's impact. We don't know if it's truly going to be uh, going to revolutionize Sophie or not. 
But, you know, if we had like 10 years, I think that's a fair statement. And, and to me, like I was thinking of what are some more modern, not 60s and 70s, more modern sofa items that have really changed uh, how we collect sofa or ones that are super desirable and still are today. And everybody wants to have one regardless if they like the subject matter that it is. And two popped into my head. One was the Marmot Godzilla Tower. It's a chase figure. But one that like a lot enough people have that it's like it, it is it's the signature piece to a lot of collections. It's their favorite piece. It's cool. I mean, I, the subject matter is awesome and unique, and it's so sofa be. We don't ever have a. I mean, when I get that X plus Godzilla Tower, maybe we'll talk. But like that's the quintessential thing to 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 own to represent Godzilla Tower. There's a couple variants. It's expensive. It's exclusive. It's hard to find, but not you know it's not impossible, right? Like you know it's uh, it's really cool and and also iconic and it, it's one of those great chase figures and it's one when you have that i think you're i think a lot of people have bought that because of the status that comes with it like i'm a legitimate collector not upper tier doesn't make you upper echelon you know type stuff but it's one that's like i'm serious about this um and the other one would be one of the early marmot uh desugochis i mean everybody in the Godzilla collecting world and Sofa B wants to have at least one for their collection. Some people have like 18 of them, but that's one that once again, you can buy one right now if you want one, if you want to spend the money, it's not impossible. Um, a lot of really serious collectors have one. It's a beautiful sculpt. It's been redone a million times. Um, it's been customized so many times. And I think it's really important to the world of Sofa B. Um, so those are the ones that kind of popped into my head, like as first ballot, I'm not saying these are the only ones worthy. It'd be a very small Hall of Fame. But if you take the original Marasan Godzilla, the original uh, Bullmark Giant Godzilla, the original Ultra line, Ultra Kaiju line that came out in Marasan in 66, you take either, and, and maybe both the Marmot Desugoji and the Marmot Godzilla Tower are one of them. And then the M1 Haranakajima. To me, that's a damn good class. Say, I have a Tokusatsu, Godzilla, Kaiju Focus, Sophobie Hall of Fame. That would be my initial class, some variation of that. And then if you think about coming after that, that's when I think you can start looking at, you know, maybe some more of the artistically sound ones, more of the modern ones. But then also sprinkle in, you know, I think the Bullmark King Ghidorah has to be in there at some point. Um one of the a thousand heteras because hetera is the most made <laughs> sofa be item like one of the original heteras uh has to be in there um and then you know then you took me talk about like the the m1 miss namakawa or the show but i'm just trying to think of ones that, like so many people have they're they're that significant and then of course the other question because this is the one that i throw a wrinkle in are we using sofa be how we use it like like how we use anime where it's like a specific style of animation or are we taking it literal uh, literally, because I mean, obviously, if it's just sofa be like we can expand that out to the larger world of soft vinyl and vinyl toys in kaiju. So then, if that's the case, then I say you have to have the '62 Bandai Godzilla from 1983, their initial launch. Like that one is you have to have that, and and maybe as a line, the oft forgotten but shouldn't be Yamakatsu line that came in, you know, the originals, right? Um, I don't know if one stands out on that one. They were just all kind of like dumped in the world. Like, here you go. Um, and uh, and 
yeah, but, but that, I think those kind of have to be in there as well. I would, it just like I said, it, once again, it depends how broad are we going to be with this thing. But yeah, I mean, I think you have a lot of really good options there. Um, I think you have some really, really, really cool ones that you could you could make an argument for a lot of different ones in, in the first class, but even the subsequent classes, you can, I mean, th there's no wrong answers, right? So anyway, so between regional fandoms and my mythical Sophie B. Hall of Fame, and I say mine, I stole it from somebody else I saw in, in there. I was like, that is a great conversation to have. And I wish Jake was here to have that conversation, but he's not. And I survived. So anyway, thank you guys for listening to me. I'm going to shut up now. We got more YHS Monster Island coming uh, next week when we talk about Godzilla vs. Guy again. Happy 50th. I think March 12th maybe is the actual release date off the top of my head. Uh, that sounds right. I might be wrong. Um, so that, that's going to be something to look forward to. And, of course, we always say this. Please leave us a review. We do appreciate it. We know there's a ton of kaiju content out there. It could be you know, Collect All Monsters. It could be Kaiju Weekly podcast youtube you name it like there's a lot of cool stuff out there that talk about movies that talk about toys that talk about the fandom in general and we appreciate you guys choosing us to listen to whether we're your first choice or your eighth choice doesn't matter we just are glad we're our eighth choice uh on the wonderful you know smorgasbord of kaiju content that you can consume uh but we do i don't say we would like you more but we might like you more if you go leave us a really good review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever it is. Like, that means a lot to us. It helps us with that evil algorithm um, and lets us get above some of these other uh, podcasts that aren't as good as us. Uh, but please do that. And, of course, check out all the other great YHS content. Go watch the Jeffries on YouTube. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, and then, of course, yes, have some. The main podcast, YHS Prime, as I like to call it. The main YHS, the original with Craig and Abby and Jake. And they're talking everything, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, Jaws, horror movies, Star Wars, you name it. And then the Hit Sensation every Tuesday night on YouTube at 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Central. That's Toy Anxiety. It's those same three. It's the, the, the triumvirate of podcasting royalty with Academy Award-winning Ryan Dole, Sir Ryan of Dole. And they have just built an empire uh, in the toy collecting world. And it's, it's the best. And I, I watch a lot of toy shows. I like your Toy Galaxies, your Pixel Dans of the world. All those guys are great. Geek Dad Life is awesome. Go watch Geek Dad Life for sure. But when it comes down to it, Toy Anxiety is the best. And there's so many other cool things they do. When, uh, when Kenobi starts, they'll, be, they'll do another Kenobi weekly show uh, or do a Kenobi weekly show like they did with the Boba Book Club for Book of Boba Fett uh, and Midnight Mando before that. They, they, why just just does a lot of good stuff. There's the Ghostbusters containment unit talking about all things Ghostbusters autographs. Um, which is amazing. Such a very specific podcast, but those guys put out a ton of content and it's really, really, really good. Um, and then of course, if you have some extra finances and you're not spending it all at Toku Toy Town, go to YHS Patreon. They drop some really cool stuff. They do Zoom hangs. You get to hang out with those guys um, and they do watch alongs and they do some really cool custom stuff. Uh, Jake versus Stephen King is wonderful. Craig just in his car talking about the state of toy collecting. Um, he does a much better job as kind of the Vin Scully, the Joey Styles, the one man booth than I am. He's a pro at it. I'm, I, I'll make it through here, but uh, it's really good. And then there's just so much other great content. Go check them out. They're wonderful people doing wonderful stuff. And I know you're a wonderful listener. So I think it's a marriage made in heaven. So anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Hopefully check us out uh, again next week when we talk about Godzilla versus Gigan. I'm Jay Key, captainless without the tattoo tied to Tokusatsu Jacob Walsh. 
But you know what? We made it, guys. We did an hour. We're good. We talked a lot about stuff. And hey, go start a regional fandom for Kaiju. That'd make me happy. All right, guys. Have a good one. Catch you later. Adios.